This podcast is dedicated to the memory of David Faraday, Betty Lou Jensen, Darlene Farron, Cecilia Shepard, and Paul Stein, and to Michael Mejot and Brian Hartnell. This is Zodiac Speaking, a classic 10-point podcast. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. Vallejo Police Department. Crime classification. Murder. Case number 243-146. 5.15 a.m. 7.569. Officer Hoffman. Prior to the arrival of the ambulance, responding officer searched the area of the parking lot in which the victim's vehicle was standing. This search discovered what appeared to be seven empty shell casings. These casings bore the caliber on the base of the shell, that being a 9mm. These casings believed to have been ejected from an automatic pistol. The seven empty shells were found a few feet away from the victim's auto on the right side. All of these shell cases have been tagged for evidence under this case number. Solano Ambulance arrived and transported the victims to Kaiser Hospital. Ryder rode with the victims en route to the hospital. Neither of these subjects spoke in the ambulance. Approximately 12.38 a.m., 7.569. Arrived Kaiser Hospital. Subject Darlene Farron was attended to by Dr. Board and pronounced dead on arrival. Her body was transferred to Twin Chapel at 2.45 a.m., 7.569. Subject Michael Maggio was attended by Dr. Jansen for multiple gunshot wounds and transferred to ICU in critical condition. This subject was wearing an assortment of clothing consisting of three pairs of trousers, one t-shirt, three sweaters, and one long-sleeved button shirt. These items of clothing were received by responding officer and placed into evidence under this case number. During the time Maggio was treated for his wounds, he remained conscious. He was in severe pain and couldn't tell a continuing story. Through different, different questions, he gave the following story in segments. A white man drove up in a car, got out, walked to the car, shined flashlight inside, and started shooting. Man was older than me. Window was down. After shooting stopped, I got out of the car. I tried to get the people to come over, but they drove off. Finally, ten minutes, the policeman came. At the time, this subject was taken to ICU. This officer left Kaiser, returning to Vallejo Police Department. 9 p.m., 7.569. To me, Michael Maggio is the most tragic figure in this entire story. Yes, he survived. But as is obvious by anyone who has seen the documentary, this is Zodiac speaking. His world was shattered. He loved Darlene Farron. It was something that, without question shows in every moment of every time he talks about the event. For him, it is not his encounter and attack by Zodiac. It is Darlene's murder by Zodiac that he's speaking about. This is incredibly sad to me. Because he even says, while the physical damage hasn't hindered him much, it is the psychological damage, the emotional toll, that the event is taken, that he still deals with every day, that he still loves Darlene. There's not a whole lot on 
Majot's life after the attack. There are stories of his having substance and alcohol problems, some mental health issues. He has that very distinctive voice now. It's the only way I recognized who he was when I ran into him at the grocery store once. But Majot is, in many ways, the holy grail to researchers because he clearly saw the face of the Zodiac, at least in profile. More from the police report. Location, Intensive Care Unit, Kaiser Hospital, 7 6 3 p.m. Responding officer went to location and contacted shooting victim Michael Maggio. Was advised by Dr. Scott that responding officer could talk to him for a short time. However, he was under medication at the time and would possibly be going to sleep shortly. Responding officer contacted Michael, who was still in very bad condition and was very strained to talk as he had a wound in his mouth. Responding officer asked him if he could, as best as possible, relate the facts as he knew them to the occurrence of Friday night when he and D. Farron were shot. Michael states that he would do his best to give a statement and gave it as following. States that at approximately 4 p.m. Friday afternoon that D. Farron called him up and in their conversation stated they agreed that they would go to a movie in San Francisco that night and she would be at the house at approximately 7.30 p.m. Michael states he next heard from her at approximately 8 p.m. when she called and stated that she had to go with her sister, Christine, to the Miss Firecracker contest, that she would call him as soon as she could, as soon as he was clear from this. Michael states that he stayed home and at approximately 10.30 he received another call from D, stating she would be over shortly. He stated that D came over at approximately 11.30 or shortly thereafter and picked him up in her car. They were both hungry as they had not had supper and were going to go get something to eat. Stated that she was driving her vehicle, the Corvair, they were found in. Stated they drove west on Springs Road and as they were driving down Springs Road to get something to eat, D stated to him that she wanted to talk to him about something. Michael stated that approximately at the location of Mr. Ed's on Springs Road, they turned around and headed east at his suggestion to go to Blue Rock Springs Park, where they could talk. They went directly out to this location, pulled the car in the parking lot where it was found by the police. Dee turned the light and the motor off and had the radio playing. States they were there just a few, very short time, a few minutes, and three cars pulled into the parking lot where they were. There were apparently young kids and... They heard some laughing and carrying on, and a few firecrackers were set off. Then the three vehicles left within a short time. This was just a very short space of time, a few minutes. Shortly after this, and about five minutes before the shooting occurred, Michael states a vehicle pulled into the lot, coming from the direction of Springs Road, around to the left or east side of their car, approximately six or eight feet away, and sat there for a minute. Michael states he asked... He asked Dee if she knew who it was, and she stated, oh, never mind. Michael stated at this time he was always kidding Dee about knowing so many people, and does not know whether this meant she knew the fellow or not. Michael states, as best he can recall, he could not see the car too clearly. However, the shape of the car looked similar to the car that Dee owns, a Corvair. He could not see the color or anything as it was very dark out. States, as far as he could tell, this car had one male subject in it. 
The car then drove off and headed in the direction of Vallejo and Springs Road at a fairly fast rate of speed. He stated approximately five minutes later this vehicle pulled up coming in the direction of Vallejo and Springs Road. This vehicle pulled up approximately 10 feet behind to the right side of, of Dee's car, which would be the side that Michael was sitting. The vehicle lights were left on and the subject got out and walked towards the car. He had a very large, high-powered flashlight, the kind you carry with a handle. The subject walked up to the car and Michael stated that both he and Dee believed that, that it was a policeman and that he wanted to check their ID or something. Subject stated, sub, stated subject stepped up to Michael's side of the car which is the right side, shining the flashlight on them. Subject did not say anything to them, nor did they say anything to him. Michael stated he started to reach for his wallet as he felt it was a policeman who wanted to see his ID. States as he did so, he heard a muffled sound and felt a pain in his back and his neck area. He states he heard some more muffled sounds, sounding like a gun with a silencer on it. He felt pains in his body, his back, and around his neck. States he tried to climb over to the back seat to get away from the shooting, and subject kept shooting him again and again. States finally the subject quit shooting him and apparently turned the gun on D and started shooting her again and again. States subject then turned around and started to walk back to his vehicle, which still had the headlights on. Michael stated he could not tell if he meant to yell at the subject or if he just yelled from pain, but he let out some type of yell. At this time, the subject apparently hearing him came back to the car and shot Michael two more times, once in the back and once in the left leg. States the subject then turned the gun on D and shot her twice more. Michael states that all the shots that he heard were muffled, sounding similar to a gun with a silencer on. It was not loud. States the subject then turned around and casually walked back to his vehicle and got in. It's hard for me to read that. Not just because the actions detailed are horrific, but because I know it is a survivor of that who is telling this story. In many ways, I find myself pained by the fact that Maggio and later victim Brian Hartnell survived and are frequently asked to give the story again and again. I'm as guilty as the next guy. I know. A lot of us see their testimony as the only way to get to answers. Or at least we did before DNA. What Michael Bajot provides is the only eyewitness account of his face, to a degree. And I really believe that it is because Maggio witnessed him, looked at him, that Zodiac wore the hood for the next attack. And when that had a survivor who could tell the tale, had to change his MO again so that he could be clear of it and went to the murdering someone when they were alone. Those of you who know my fascination with the Jack the Ripper case will understand how this ties together with my theory that it was after the double event that the Ripper changed to doing the indoor murder so that he had a space that he could control. I think the same thing happened here with the murder of Paul Stein, but that's another series of episodes. Zodiac is often pointed out that he had no continuing M.O. Different weapons, sort of. Different outfits. Different approaches. The first two were the same approach. Lover's Lane car, at night, alone, two people. Third one, by knife. Though he had a gun with him. A loaded gun, as Brian Hartnell confirmed. Next, by gun, but alone. One person. Michael Maggio surviving changed the case forever. 
It changed the killer's path. It changed the path of the investigation. More from the police report. Responding officer asked Michael if he could give a description of the responsible subject, and he stated as best he could recall, the description is as follows. Subject appeared to be short, possibly 5'8", was real heavyset, beefy build. State subject was not blubbery fat, but real beefy, possibly 195 to 200, or maybe even larger. Stated he had short, curly hair, light brown, almost blonde. He was wearing a short sleeve shirt, blue in color. Cannot remember if it was light or dark blue. States he just saw subject's face from the profile, side view, and does not recall seeing a front view. States there was nothing unusual about his face other than it appeared to be large. Michael stated the subject did not have a mustache, nor was he wearing glasses or anything. He could not recall anything unusual except that he had a large face. Michael re-emphasized that he really did not get a good look at the subject other than his profile. Also, it was dark out and hard to see the subject. Michael states that he could possibly recognize responsible if he had a profile view, as this was the best view he had of the subject. Stated subject was a white male, approximately 26 to 30 years. Was unable to judge really well what his age was. States he feels sure that the subject wanted to make sure that they were dead. This due to the fact that he returned and shot each of them twice again after the first shooting. The Zodiac description is born from this attack. And of course there was a letter in response to, in response to this description. And once his description and his, once the discussion of his in 1991, Michael Maggio was shown a picture of Arthur Lee Allen, and Maggio said that he looked like his assaulter, like Zodiac, like the one who killed Darlene. This is often argued about, and I understand why. How could he not have identified him earlier? Well, he says he was never shown a picture. It's possible. But there's an interesting note here that always gets me. Maggio was the one who knew. The one who had the best view. The one who got the closest touch to the Zodiac at this point. I honestly believe that it was that that turned Zodiac from a killer to a serial killer. I really think that Darlene Farron was the key to this. This was the turn. It was after murdering Farron and seriously injuring Majot that something changed that Zodiac became, in his eyes, a mastermind and wrote the letters and made the phone call. I honestly don't believe that he had pre-planned any of that. He had pre-planned the murder for sure. Perhaps the first one was a test. Or perhaps 
he thought he was killing Farron. Zodiac became Zodiac with the murder of Darlene Farron and the shooting of Michael Maggio. Which is always going to be difficult, but there's an interesting note that I think really bears repeating, and it is actually the words of one of the Zodiac letters. And it's from the San Francisco Examiner. And this is the letter from August 4th, 1969, after Maggio's description of the events got out, and after the letter of July 31st, 1969. This letter was received by the Examiner. Dear Editor, this is Zodiac speaking. In answer to your asking for more details about the good times I have had in Vallejo, I shall be very happy to supply even more material. By the way, are the police having a good time with the code? If not, tell them to cheer up. When they do crack it, they will have me. On the 4th of July, I did not open the car door. The window was rolled down already. The boy was originally sitting in the front seat when I began firing. When I fired the first shot at his head, he leaped backwards at the same time, thus spoiling my aim. He ended up in the back seat, then on the floor in the back, thrashing out violently with his legs. That is how I shot him in the knee. I did not leave the scene of the killing with squealing tires and racing engine as he described in the Vallejo paper. I drove away quite slowly so as not to draw attention to my car. The man who told the police that my car was brown was a negro about 40 to 45, rather shabbily dressed. I was at the phone booth having some fun with the Vallejo cops when he was walking by. When I hung up the phone, the damn thing began to ring, and that drew attention to me and my car. This is a fully formed serial killer. If these letters are to be believed, and there's a lot to say that they are, this is the beginning of the slip to the break with not only reality, but with humanity. These are the early days. This is not the message of a fully formed psychopath, but of a developing one. Michael Maggio provided the impetus for some of this, of course, and changed the course of the Zodiac's path, inadvertently, of course, but the questions remain. Many folks have wondered if Maggio knows who the killer is and just isn't saying. There's a famous, I think it was Geraldo, where there was a confrontation. For a long time, Ed Rust thought so. And I'll have a whole episode on Ed, who I met. Nice guy. I like him a lot. The question remains, why didn't Zodiac go to clean up his mess? The one, the only person, until Brian Hartnell, who could have led to the capture of the Zodiac, was left alive. This is why I have a lot of problems with the drug gang theory. Drug gangs will go after the witnesses. They don't leave the loose ends like this. They would have silenced him. This is the last episode about the murder of Darlene Farron and Michael Maggio. And we'll go on to the Shepard Hartnell murder next. 
There are so many questions about Zodiac in general, <clears throat> and we'll be returning from time to time to talk about elements of all the murders, really, but this one is perhaps the most important for the long run. Michael Maggio is still alive today. He's roughly 68, maybe even 69. He's had a rough life. And perhaps the defining moment is the moment he was attacked by Zodiac. That moment is also the part that really defined Zodiac and ended the life of a wife, a mother, and a friend. Michael Maggio bears the weight of much of this. And that's more than any human should be expected to carry. Thank you for listening to Zodiac Speaking. I'm Chris Garcia. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to send them. Johnny Eponymous, J-O-H-N-N-Y-E-P-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S at gmail.com. Please rate, review, you know what to do. People ask that all the time. It bugs me. But I got to do it sometimes too. Our next episode will be a look at some of the letters. And then we're going to dive into Shepard Hartnell. Thank you for listening to Zodiac Speaking, a classic Gunpoint Family podcast.